Our Old Testament comes from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 8. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my, by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring forth the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. This is the word of God for the people of God. Hear now the word of the Lord in our New Testament lesson, Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. For we do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. The 2003 Disney Pixar animated movie, Finding Nemo, was a huge success for its goofy character portrayals. Characters like the ultra-chill surfer-style sea turtle named Crush, known for his eloquent use of the word dude. Then there's the leader of the fish-friendly sharks support group, Bruce, known for his line, fish are friends, not food. Ellen DeGeneres, of course, voices the comically forgetful yet lovable Dory, who iconized the song, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. But perhaps no character was as influential in the lives of so many obnoxious 10-year-olds like myself at the time as the band of monolexical seagulls. Monolexical meaning only using one word to communicate. Are there any fans of the movies or parents who, can, uh, who remember what that one word is? Mine. <laughs> and they don't just speak it either, they act it. When our two main fish characters hop out of the water, Dory and Marlin, uh, they get tossed up on dry land and uh, these seagulls see two free fish. And what do they start screeching? Mine, 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 mine. And they start tossing each other out of the way and swarming and even attacking each other trying to get to these two fish all while ignoring the good of the flock, of course. But that's kind of the general idea of the word mine. 
I only care about what I want, mine. Now, generally speaking, when we hear this word being overused, it's uh, typically in reference to toddlers and young children who have not yet learned how to share. That's mine. But if we pay close attention, we can see how often we employ this word when it comes to how we live our lives. We look at the things that make up our lives and they declare that they will be used for me and sometimes my people, but they are mine. My time is mine. My talent is mine. My money is mine. My faith or belief system is mine. And we don't really notice how that's affecting the world around us because what is mine is far too often more important to us than what is ours. And quite frankly, if we're being honest, the very idea of mine is kind of childish. That's why the creators of Finding Nemo put that in there with this flock of seagulls, to portray how silly it is. Mine. Now, if you want a little perspective this morning, just three years before Finding Nemo came out, Bon Jovi released the song, It's My Life. Ah, I was all about this song growing up. I don't, I don't know, there was just something that was like empowering about this song. I mean, l listen to the words of the chorus. Oh, I wish I could sing it for you like Bon Jovi. <laughs> I will not try. It's my life. And it's now or never. I ain't gonna live forever. I just wanna live while I'm alive. It's my life. My heart is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. I just want to live while I'm alive cause it's my life. You get like the Oh man, that's a, that song still jams today. That's a good one. I thought this song was empowering because it was telling me, what I heard was it was telling me that I should live my life the way that I wanted to and not the way somebody else thinks I should. It's my life after all. I'm going to live it my way, right? This is, just kind of makes sense. Nobody else should have any kind of say on the way that I live my life. As much as my parents wanted me, wanted me to be an engineer, here I stand before you today, it's my life. But the very concept of it's my life is quite absent from scripture. We have passages like Jeremiah 10, 23, which says, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own, that we are not able to direct our paths. Or if you want to go New Testament, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, which says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. These scriptures tell us that our lives are not our own. And why not? Well, because our, as our texts today show us, our lives belong to God. Isaiah tells us, Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Romans challenges us by saying, if we live 
we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Our lives are not our own, but do we understand that there's actually a benefit to that? That there's actually good news in that? I don't know about you, but whenever I've tried to do things my way, like Bon Jovi so powerfully encouraged me, it hasn't gone very well, honestly. <laughs> do we recognize how the very concept of our lives not being our own can in fact change our lives and the lives of others. I, as I was thinking about this whole concept of my life not being my own, uh, one of the things that first came to mind was how often I had the concept of mine, and it's my life, at play whenever uh, Kristen and I first got married. And uh, it doesn't really work out very well in a marriage whenever it's just, that's mine. It's my life. Because a marriage is, you know, it's an interesting contract. I, I don't, like, it's, it's pretty wild the things that people commit to, to with each other in, in a marriage. Uh, but all of a sudden, like, two lives end up entangled in, like, really fascinating ways. Uh, so it, it definitely helped, I think, our relationship that whenever we first got married, we moved into an apartment that neither of us had lived in. It was one we picked out together. But still, we moved into this apartment with our own stuff, right? And we had to figure out, okay, what are we going to keep? What are we going to throw away? I had an awesome recliner. <laughs> I mean, this thing was spectacular, except the way that it looked. Um, <laughs> because I found it on the side of the road. <laughs> but it was an awesome recliner. I spent many nights, like, I chose to sleep in this recliner over my bed. Uh, that's how awesome it was. Um, but in order to uh, make it look a little bit more appealing with the rest of our uh, used living room furniture, uh, we had to cover it uh, with, you know, one of those furniture covers, except there were two problems. One, we were poor, and two, they didn't really make a furniture cover that fit this recliner, and so we had to cover it with a king-size king bed sheet, uh, which made it look even worse. And uh, after, after some time of convincing, I had to let go of my recliner. It was a devastating day, tossing it into a dumpster, which is probably where it belonged. But it was things like this were recognizing that just because something was mine doesn't mean that it's now ours, or doesn't mean that it has to be ours, or that it should be ours. But the concept of ours had to be introduced into our marriage. Uh, another thing that was very interesting for us to learn uh, about one another is uh, how we handle my time, right? We had this concept of, you know, she has things that she likes to do whenever she has her free time, and I have things that I like to do whenever I have my free time. And we only had one TV, so how are we going to choose? <laughs> because, yeah, both of those uh, my time things kind of involved the TV. Um, <laughs> she fortunately picked up reading, so I got the TV. Uh, <laughs> but there were things of 
that I understood to be, this is my time and how I want to spend it. And she understood this is my time and how I want to spend it. And there were various other things as well that were coming up in our marriage. Uh, we were both making um, comparable salaries at the time. And by salaries, I mean scholarships because uh, that was kind of how we lived uh, after we first got married. And, but there was still this concept of this is the money that I brought in. I should get to choose how to use it. And uh, yeah, believe it or not, most of this, uh, Nearly all of these problems are coming from me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> of course they are, um, because she's just perfect and compassion is an understanding. Of course, they're, all the problems are coming from me. Uh, but these are the things that we had to learn in a marriage, is that what was mine didn't matter anymore. In fact, what was mine was actually sowing more discord in our marriage, uh, because it doesn't work that way anymore. There's now this commonality, this common ground, and we start to realize that there's stuff that's ours, and that the ours is more important than the mine. And by that very nature, our relationship began to develop. Because it's the common ground that flourishes a relationship, not the exclusions, right? People don't really connect with other people when they have very different ideas of what makes them unique. We connect with people over our common ground. Oh, you're from Alabama? Hey, me too. Wait, you know where Mobile is? I live in Mobile, very cool, you know, we just make that exchange. Oh, you do this for work? This is what I know about what you do for work, and we build that common ground. And it was a, a process, but Kristen and I eventually got there in our marriage of seeing that it was the common ground, the hours that led our relationship to flourish now that we're seven years on. And, uh, and, and it's the hours, the stuff that is together that makes the relationship. And the stuff that is mine is pretty much useless because all we, we know all it's going to do is drive a wedge between us. It's probably one of the hardest parts of marriage though is acknowledging that what was mine doesn't matter as much as what is going to be ours. And it's something that, of course, you know, we, there's still things like that that come up today in our relationship. Of course, they come up today in our relationship. But finding the ours, finding the commonality, showed us this powerful aspect of relationship. That it's about the togetherness. What Chris and I have learned now that we are in our seventh year of marriage is that it's not about what is mine and what is hers and what is ours together, but it's about how it leads our relationship to flourish. It's about our partnership toward common goals. And that realization was something that I desperately needed to learn when it came to God saying, you are mine, not your own. Because, you know, I, I, I didn't see God as some kind of slave master who's trying to get humanity to do exactly what God wants. That's not who God is. In fact, being staunchly opposed to any kind of, any semblance of slavery, I could not fully grasp how it was that God wanted me to simply be obedient and not live my own life. That doesn't feel right, doesn't feel natural, doesn't feel like love. Fortunately, being married to Kristen taught me that it's not about ownership. It's about relationship. 
the whole my life concept, that's a word of ownership. Something is mine. But that's not what it was about. It's about the relationship. And praise God that we've kind of gotten away, uh, not, a, not entirely, but by and large, society has gotten away from the whole uh, man is an owner of the woman. A horribly unhealthy time in society. But we see that lesson that we can learn from marriage is that it's not about ownership. It's not about what's mine. It's about the relationship and what's ours. God isn't trying to make me or make you into a possession, but is trying to be in an intimate partnership with us. My life is not my own because of this relationship. Being married to Kristen, my life is not my own. Every decision I make, I think about her. Whenever we uh, chose to move to Mobile, it wasn't something that I said, I want to move to Mobile. And she said, no, I don't want to move to Mobile. We talked about it. We made this uh, consensus together. It's about the relationship, not mine. And really, if we consider it, the whole concept of mine negates healthy relationship in general. Because it puts us in opposition to one another. It leads us to refuse and refute common ground. As we can see with the seagulls and finding Nemo, only caring about what is mine leads to chaos, discord, and harm. As I learned being married to Kristen, focusing on what is mine creates a rift between us. As we might recognize in our own relationships with God, talking about what is mine puts up walls between us. If we want healthier relationships, we have to abandon the word mine. And so that's my challenge for us today and going through the month of October is to surrender what is mine. To surrender what is mine. And when we talk about this kind of surrender, I'm not asking you to give up your life. I'm not asking you to, you know, just completely walk away from whatever your life is and go to seminary and then jo join vocational ministry. In fact, might not be for you. I don't know. Maybe it is. If it is, come talk to us. We have to put your name on a list before church conference. But <laughs> otherwise, that's not what I'm telling you whenever I'm saying it's this kind of surrender. Uh, what I'm asking is that we all look at how we can work more harmoniously in relationship with God. This kind of surrender. The kind of surrender that says the conversation of mine is ultimately unhealthy. To be able to say to God, my life is yours, is to say, I no longer want it to be all about me. And as we enter into our stewardship campaign, that's what we're talking about through the month of October. You'll notice each week our sermon title is going to have the uh, ellipses, the dot, 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 is yours. Today we look at how my life is yours, God. Next week, my time is yours. Following that, my talent is yours. After that, it's going to be a tough one. My money is yours. And then the last Sunday, we're going to look at my faith is yours. That might sound simple, but it's going to be one to chunk through. This kind of surrender acknowledges that our lives are gifts from God, to be used for the glory of God and the healing of the world. 
And we do this by surrendering it to God. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to say these words with me. I'll let you know the words. But I want you to say them with me afterwards. We're going to say together the words, My life is yours. So say that with me. My life is yours. Amen. Let us pray.